Thank you, guys. I'm excited. For, I'm just bringing my phone up because otherwise I will talk far too long and you'll all be falling asleep and that wouldn't be good. I'm just going to move that out of the way as well. Um, so you've heard that my name is Jazz and I'm from a place uh, called Croydon. Oh, some people know Croydon. And um, Croydon is a, a suburb of London. It's in the south and... Uh, it doesn't have a great reputation. In fact, there is a, a new verb to croydonize a town or a city is to ruin it with large grey buildings. That is rude. But apparently, that is a fact, the, that you can croydonize a city or a town with large grey buildings and you are ruining it with as such. Which... Actually, Croydon isn't that attractive, although they are actually working really, really hard in sorting it out. So that's one fact about me. Um, I, I feel like I, I need to tell you a little bit of my story, a little bit of my history, just because I've never had the opportunity to speak at an Activate um, or Stand Strong event before. So uh, I'm obviously Indian. And I was born in India, came to this country, raised in a Sikh family. Uh, at 12, I met Jesus. And I'm not going to tell you that story today because I feel like I need to leave you with something so that I get invited back to speak. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, if I'd give you all my best stories today, well, you know, that, that would be it. Um, I'm married to Tim. And we have two sons. So let me tell you about my sons. They arrived on our doorstep uh, on December the 2nd, 2006. They were aged, thank you, they were aged uh, six and four the day they came. So it was like an early Christmas present the day that they arrived. And I don't know if you know much about adoption. So we adopted our two boys. But I don't know if you know much about uh, adoption. But when they come, you have to you're off work, you don't do anything. For two weeks, everybody's at home. They don't have to go to school, we don't have to go to work. And uh, and we thought, okay, so Tim and I are like really excited, we've got two new boys. And after about three days, the novelty wore off. <laughs> Not gonna lie to you, we had watched endless repeats of cars and uh, there's only so much Mr. Tumble one can take. And at that point, we're like, I thought, okay, what do we do now? So I went, let's go to the park. Now, what I haven't told you is that my boys came from Leeds, which is uh, a good Yorkshire city, obviously. So they came with strong Yorkshire accents. And so I said, um, let's go to the park. Like, oh, mummy, we love park. We'd love to go to park. Oh, let's get our courts and let's go to park. So... Now, I was a new mum, and I didn't realise this. First of all, that you don't take your kids to the park in December. It's cold, and not much is going on. And not much is going on because all the other children are in school. And so, anyway, they wrapped up, and we went down to the park. And as we got there, they, um, they could see the swings ahead. And like, oh, mummy, there's swings. We want to go on swings. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. But as we got to the swings, we realised that one swing was fine, but the other swing, the big kids had been in, obviously, and they'd wrapped it around the top, you know, so you, so you couldn't use it. And the faces fell. But I'm brand new mum. I'm also super mum. So I was like, well, that's okay, boys. If you step aside, mummy can run and push the swing and she'll get it over the top. That's not a problem. I, I judged that I could do that. 
And uh, so they, they, they stood to one side faithfully as they, you know, good boys at that point. And um, I took my run, I pushed the swing, and I just wasn't hard enough or quick enough in my turn. Well, I turned around, just didn't go away fast enough. And obviously the swing landed on my shoulder and uh, I went flat to the ground. I was in absolute agony. But because I've got two new children and I'm super mum, I didn't scream, I didn't talk, I just froze and I just lay there. And uh, I just lay there and I just lay there, and swallowing and, um, and trying to breathe. And then I heard the little one's voice, mummy, mummy, oh no, mummy, she's dead. <laughs> and then the older one, in all his six-year-old wisdom, just said to his little brother, no, she's not dead. She's just gone to heaven. <laughs> that was my introduction to parenting. Uh, fun times indeed. They're now um, 18 and almost 16 and uh, doing well. Life is, life is fun with my boys around. Um, but that was just like a little bit of an introduction to what my, my world is like. In being a mum, that's one thing. But the other thing, as Sarah introduced me, is um, I am an evangelist. And, and I work for our church, Croydon Jubilee Church, as the full-time evangelist, which most people don't understand what a full-time evangelist is. Some people think that I must just spend my life drinking coffee with people, which, if I'm honest, I do actually do quite a bit of. And um, also cocktails with people and Prosecco with people. That's also quite good fun. But actually... And, and other people think that maybe I wear a white suit and like stand and talk in like a proper American drawl and invite people to give me their money. I don't do that either. So what is an evangelist and what do I get to do? My role is really to equip the church in the area of mission. So I'm hoping that today as we hang out together that that's what I get to, to do with you. When I came to Croydon Jubilee Church, I was invited to come as this. I've been there about 20 years now. I came as the youth minister. And that's what I did until the boys came along. And when the boys came along, I had four months off. And during those four months, the, uh, the, lead, the guy that leads our church came to see me. And he says, Jazz, you can come back to church after your maternity leave and be the youth worker. That's absolutely fine. We'd love you to do that. But in reality, the whole time that you've been here, you've been serving us as the evangelist. And what we'd like you to do is actually, we'll, we'll employ somebody else to be the youth worker. We'd like to set you aside to be our full-time evangelist. If I'm honest, I didn't really know what an evangelist did. But to me, I'm like, wow, I get to work. Because oh, he said to me, oh, youth work is program-driven, so you have to be at places at certain times. But the role of the evangelist, well, you can do what you like when you like, because you can. You can dovetail it. To, and I was like, oh. So I'm being paid full-time to be a full-time mum and I get to tell people about Jesus. Win-win, as far as I'm concerned. So I was like, yeah, right then. And uh, day one, maternity leaves over, and I'm in, and I'm like, I have no idea what to do. Literally, I'm like, do I just ring people up? Do I go knocking on doors? Between you and me, please don't tell anybody else, I really hate knocking on doors. Not going to do it. And then I'm thinking... Do I have to stand on street corners with a sandwich board on? Is that what you do? And I'm like, no, because that's never going to happen. And despite my extrovert personality, and it is hugely extrovert, I do appreciate that, I am not one that will, that will ever knock on doors or ever stand on street corners. Just not going to do that. 
And, uh, and so what do I do? How do I equip the church to be evangelistic? So I muddled through for a few weeks. I'm quite good at blagging and talking a good story. And so then I saw that there was a conference coming up. And I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll go to this conference. It's an evangelist conference. I'll go to this conference and learn everything that I need to learn at this conference and then go back and teach to everybody and get all the credit. The, the reality was that I... I as those of you that have had small children will know, that organising childcare and making sure they've got meals and all the rest of it for a three-day conference was actually a huge task. It involved so many... And at that time, my husband used to work nights. It involved so many complicated things. But I did it because I felt this was the conference I needed to go to. And I arrived at this conference, and it was all men. It was nearly 80 men and me. Yeah, yeah, very different. I can probably understand how Rob's feeling right now. <laughs> and, um, but it was very different. And because, you know, it was just that whole thing of being a woman in a man's world, and I'm like, oh, what's going on here? And I listened to the, the seminars for three days, and as the days went past and the men were not really talking to me and I wasn't really working very hard to talk to the men, if I'm honest, um, the... I was listening to the seminars, and I'm like, not getting it, not enjoying it. And inside of me, the resentment was building up. I was getting angrier and angrier and angrier and crosser. I'm like, why did I give up three whole days to be here? Why did I put my kids through all of this to be here? I do not get it. And I was really wound up. And so by the time the conference had finished, it was in Milton Keynes. By the time it had finished and I was walking to my car, I was proper ranting in my head like really ranting. I was just like, oh, what a waste of time. And I got to go home and tell everybody it was a waste of time. I didn't get anything in the conference. And I don't feel I'm equipped to take, teach church and evangelism. What am I supposed to do? Got in the car. And this is what happened. I sat down and I literally felt the passenger door open and someone come and sit in the passenger seat. Except that when I looked, there was nobody there. And in that moment, and it wasn't a weird moment, it, was a really, it felt like a really normal moment. In that moment, I realized that Jesus was sitting next to me. And it was as though he'd opened the door and just come and sat down. And for the next three hours, as I drove home to Croydon, Jesus and I hung out. It was the most incredible experience of my life. And during that time, I shared with him my frustrations and the things that I wanted to do and couldn't do and the things that I was feeling, especially being a woman in a man's world. We talked a lot about that. But we also talked about the fact that how was I going to equip the church in the area of evangelism? And that's where uh, he gave me the download of this red, amber, green. I don't know if any of you have read the blog post, but I think the title's up there, Why Red Is Go For Me. So red, amber, green, we are talking about the traffic light system, obviously. And so I'm going to just share that a little bit with you. Hopefully in sharing some of the stories of what we've done, that will inspire you. And then you've got a bit of discussion at the end. So red, stop don't talk about Jesus. Amber, socially acceptable mentions of Jesus, so you're getting ready to go. Green, go for the, with the gospel. You're going to preach the gospel. So all of my effort and all of my energy goes into the red event. I'm actually not that bothered about the orange or the green event. Just lay that out there for you. Everything that I do in me will focus on that red event. 
The Amber events, so let me just describe those for you. They're things like a baptismal service. They're things like carol service, maybe a harvest or a mothering Sunday. They're the kind of event that you invite guests to that they're going to have a really nice time. They're going to probably expect some singing, maybe expect some, you know, Bible reading and some uh, mentions of Jesus, maybe some praying. They kind of are already aware that that's going to happen. And so that will happen at a baptism, for example, uh, or a carol service. The green event, the green event is the event where you're going to preach the gospel, make an appeal, and people might be made to feel uncomfortable. There will be a challenge. So an alpha will be a green event. Um, a healing service that we do quite regularly at our, our place would be what I'd call a green event, a reaping event. Um, if I, also, I would say that every Sunday morning is a potential green event because if somebody who has no contact with church walks into your building, then I would argue <laughs> that they are already alive to the things of God and want to know who Jesus is. That's why they've walked into your building. So if I clock that someone has walked into our building that clearly doesn't know anybody else and clearly a little bit out of their like, what's going on here? I'm pretty confident that they haven't given their lives to Jesus. So I will get up and preach the gospel on that Sunday morning. That's not a problem. So those are the green events, amber events you understand. It's the red event that I want to talk about because that's where I will put all of my energy, all of my strength and all of my ability. I also need to put this caveat in. This is a helpful system. This is not the be all and the end all. You need to use your own Holy Spirit sense of where people are at and what they want and what they need. And sometimes people do the red, amber, green in a moment. And other times it takes a long, long time. But my argument for doing lots of effort into the red event is this. The more people you get to serve and hang out with and be, the bigger your fringe is. The more vibrant and healthy the fringe of your local church is, the easier it is to invite somebody to an amber event. And actually, it's not that difficult then usually to invite them to something that would be a green event. Sorry, I should have said a green event. It's also you telling your story one-on-one, -on -one, sharing what God has done for you. That's like the best way of, of helping people understand who, who Jesus is. Red events can be huge. They can be your... Um, uh, so, for example, once a year we do a big fundraiser. So as a church, we just pick a charity. So we've done one for breast cancer, mind, NSPCC, whatever. Pick a big charity and we do a big, big fundraiser. We'll have up to 200 people turn up for these fundraisers. They want, it just works in Croydon. It may not work anywhere where you are, but it works in Croydon. It's the thing that they want to do. Um, and they want to come and spend their money or do the thing that we're doing, raise the money, and they're really happy to be part of it. And just very subtly, we'll just say, this has been hosted by Croydon Jubilee Church. All we've done is help people understand that as a church, we are looking to serve other people, and we become socially acceptable in their world. And it's an opportunity to build friendship and to meet people and to enjoy their company and for them to discover that we're not that weird that we're actually quite normal, that we don't do strange things, and that our heart is to serve, impact, and change a community. Red events can also be really, really small. So I would say things like, um, if you go for a drink with a colleague after work, that's a red event. If you have a coffee with your neighbor, that's a red event. If you are talking to your neighbor over the garden fence, it's a red event. They're, they're, so red events don't have to be huge. They can just be those one-on-one -on -one things. 
I put a lot of effort into helping our life group, uh, life groups uh, understand that they can have lots of fun. I said, have birthday parties, have barbecues, go for walks, whatever you in your life group like to do, do it and take people with you on that. Become their friend, be their best friend that you can possibly be. Encourage them. You do not need to tell them about Jesus. Your life is observed by all of these people. And there will come that moment where they will say, tell me about Jesus. And I'm going to come to some stories to explain that as well. So, yeah, I encourage our life groups to have lots and lots of red events and really just to have fun. We, we as Christians, know how to have fun. Fun is a God-ordained activity. We are allowed to have fun. We've been told that we can live, Jesus came so that we could have life and life in all of its fullness. And we are allowed to be happy. And even in the rubbish stuff, you know, we can find that place of being content and um, being, being happy. Even in, so just, just, to, just to qualify that, uh, in the last two years in the world of Potter, our world, uh, it has been a complete mayhem crazy year husband got diagnosed with cancer two children with um, extra needs because the adoption and so on uh, my mum also died that's that's the last 18 months of of, of our lives our neighbors have been watching everything that's gone on have tim and i given up on church no have our kids given up on church actually they haven't uh, are we still pressing in are we still full of joy yeah did we still celebrate my son's 18th and have a party in the garden yes we did you know we didn't stop living we carried on. It was great to hear what Sarah had to say this morning about, you know, that, uh, that rhythms of grace. And I'm thinking, yeah, God just extended so much grace to us over the last two years. My husband actually said he's had his one year cancer free. Sorry, I ought to throw that in. And um, so, so there, there are lots of, you know, it, even despite the circumstances, we can keep pressing in and keep finding that joy that God has given us. So I want to tell you about my friend Elaine. When Tim and I first moved, uh, first got married, we lived in the middle of a council estate. So as a church, we served this council estate. So we, we bought a house there, and we intentionally looked around to see who we could become friends with. And there was a couple called Mick and Elaine, and we hung out with them. They were a, a little bit older, so they had teenage children, uh, and we just... We just decided we were going to be their friends. And so whatever was going on, we'd invite them. If it was their birthday, we'd make sure we went around with a card. And, and it could, Elaine was like the... We had a residence association, so she was the chair of the residence association. So she was a bit of a you know, go-getter in our community. And, uh, and so, yeah, I was determined to be friends with her. The, uh, the, the thing is, after about five or six years of being friends, friends with them, uh, Elaine suddenly got agoraphobic. So I'd have to go around and visit her if I wanted to see her. The other thing that I need to say to you is that I'm not a great prayer. Like, I cannot spend hours and hours and hours praying. I'm just not one of those people. We have people like that in our church, and I go up and say, can you just pray for this, please? But I pray all the time. And so I don't spend hours on my own praying, but I will be praying as I'm walking continually. So one of the things that I learned to do, and I learned to do early on, was I said, to, I want to see Mick and Elaine saved. So I'm going to pray for them, but I'm not good at spending hours praying for them. So this is what I'm going to do. When I drive off the estate, I'm going to drive off the long way and drive past the house. And every time I drive past the house, I'm going to pray for them, even if it's a one-minute prayer. 
And so sometimes, three or four times a day, they would get prayed for because I just purposed in my heart that that was going to be my habit, that I would pray for them. Anyway, so Elaine became agoraphobic, so I'd have to go and visit her. And one of the visits, we just, we just chatted. And I said, what would you like to do? And she said, oh, I'd, I'd like to do some crafting, some knitting. So just for her, I set up a knit and natter group, just, just for her. And uh, I invited five or six ladies from the church, and every Wednesday, faithfully, she was happy. I could go and pick her up, I could bring her around to mine, and we would do this knitting and nattering. And, um, and so she got to know five or six other ladies in the church. It was a red event. We weren't there to tell her all about Jesus. But because there were so many of us that went to church, we naturally spoke about church because you could not. So she was hearing this and observing our lives. This went on for about two years. And then one day she suddenly said, Jazz, I think I'd like to come to church on Sunday. I'm like, all right, if you like. I didn't make a big deal of it inside of me. I'm like, yes, 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 finally. But, but I didn't make a big deal of it. I'm like, yeah, if you like. Do you want to pick you up? And she's like, um, no, no, Mick will bring me. I'm like, all right. And if I'm really honest, I wasn't that convinced that she was going to come. But on Sunday morning, her and Mick turned up early for church uh, because <laughs> guests always turn up early. We need to learn to be early to receive the guests. But the, um, and, and they arrived, but Mick couldn't walk in. He damaged his back during the week and could barely walk in. Uh, and they sat down and they enjoyed it. And during the morning, there'd been a word of knowledge about bad backs. So Mick, he just goes, oh, yeah, that's me. So lots of people prayed for him. He was instantaneously healed, absolutely freaked out. And after the service, there's like, I don't know what happened there, spooky in this church. And for the rest of the week, anybody he saw, he just said, it's spooky in that church, but my back doesn't hurt anymore. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I love it, I love it. And, um, and then the following week, they came back. And the week after, they came back. And then they kept coming back. And they kept coming back. And then in the October, Elaine was in her room. And this is what she said to Jesus. Jesus, I've been using your facilities for quite a while now. I think I'd like to get on your bus. That was her prayer of commitment. See, I, she was, it's not about whether we say, you know, Jesus, I, it's not that big, long prayer or whatever that you, you read in the back of the Alpha book. I'm not knocking Alpha. I love Alpha. Um, just saying it's really about what's going on in the heart. It's never really about the words. It's what's happening inside when you become alive to the things of the Holy Spirit and you become alive to Jesus. And, uh, and so that was her prayer of commitment. And the week after I was driving her home, she went, Jazz, Jazz, I've sent Mick out to get me a Bible. He's got me this Bible. And I'm like, oh, good. She goes, and, uh, yeah, Jazz, I'm going to join a life group. I'm like, yeah, that's great. I'm like, okay. And she's like, yeah, and how do I do the giving thing? How do I do giving? And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is how you do giving. And, uh, and then she went, oh, yeah, yeah, I know about praying. And I'm, oh, oh, oh. Jazz, it's like I've been born all over again. <laughs> At no stage had I told her she'd become born again. But actually she had, you know, she... The process was so genuine and so real. And at this point, we've been walking this journey with them for 10 years. And this is what God showed me. That in those 10 years, it wasn't just Tim and I. There was a whole load of people involved. Um, she had observed and learnt what it was to love Jesus. And for those 10 years, even though she wasn't a Christian for those 10 years, she was being discipled. 
And so the moment she became alive to the things of God and she realised who Jesus was, actually everything just fell into place and made complete sense for her. Yes, of course I need to read my Bible. Yes, of course God's in control of my money. Yes, of course, you know, it's all of that just made complete sense for her. And um, a few weeks later, Mick also gave his life to Jesus. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's good, it's good. And Mick said to me, he said, Jazz, why did I leave it so late to know this? Why did I leave it so late? And, uh, and I'm like, I don't know. That's between you and God. God knows when, you know, he, he knows. And, um, but he was just very, he's just they're both thrilled to be known but by God now. And it's great to see, I, mean, I can't remember how long it's been now, but it's been a long, long time. Elaine turns 60 next week and we get to celebrate that with her. Another red event that we get to do. I, um, I hope that I'm inspiring you for the, the things. And I'm also hoping that as you understand that when I say we, we live in this world where um, we think that everything happens, has to happen in an instant. We live in what I call a McDonald's generation. You know, everything is instantaneous. But when I tell you about Mick and Elaine, we, um, uh, that was a 10-year process. Things take time. Genuine, real friendships take time. And that's what I'm encouraging you to do. When I say do a red event, I am simply saying learn to be a friend. Be friends. Invite friends and uh, be the best friend that you can be. When you are the best friend that you can be and you serve people well, there will come that point, I promise you, where they will say, tell me about Jesus. Last Saturday, I, was, um, I climbed up Penny Fan, it's a mountain in Wales, and, um, uh, yeah, slowly, in this heat. And um, there was a lady with me, it was a, we were a group of us, a lady with me, and I, I didn't know her, I just presumed she was a Christian because most of the people in the mountain that had gone with me were, were Christians. And as I'm walking down, I'm talking to her about God and church, and she's like, uh-huh. And I went, oh, she's not a Christian. And uh, I said, oh, I'm really sorry. I just presumed because everybody else goes, oh, no. She says, but tell you what, will you tell me about who Jesus is? And as we climbed down the mountain, I got to share my story and tell her who Jesus is. Those moments happen, you know. So I'm trying to say sometimes some take time, some are in a moment, but they all happen. The reason I colour code is not because um, that's that's the important thing to do. It's just a way of helping the church understand how to invite people. There's nothing worse than somebody in your congregation sitting there cringing because you're preaching the gospel and making an appeal, and that's not what they'd invited their friend to. So it's the only reason I colour code them, is just to help our church understand how to invite someone. So tomorrow we've got baptisms. It's an amber event. Um, if the Holy Spirit leads me, I may make an appeal. Unlikely, though. Uh, unlikely, I'm going to be honest, because I think I just want people to experience and enjoy church. They're going to hear 11 different testimonies tomorrow. We've got 11 people getting baptised. That's exciting. They're going to hear those tomorrow, and they're going to hear how 11 people came to know Jesus. Um, I'm hoping the penny will drop. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope there's been just little bits of information that have been dropped into you um, and that that inspires what you've got to do. I know that we're going to have some discussions and questions. I'm going to hand over to Hayley.